This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Hello and welcome along to a very special, slightly different episode of the ABZ Football Podcast as today we celebrate the 10-year anniversary of what was certainly for a generation of Aberdeen supporters one of the more more pivotal and enjoyable games in our recent history. That's right, we're going to make you all feel really, really old by reliving the League Cup semi-final win over St Johnston from the 1st of February 2014 at Tyne Castle. Joining me for this one, as always, is Gavin J. Baxter. Gav, how are you? Yes, that's semi-final win against St Johnston, not semi-final defeat, because that would be a very, very bleak episode. Uh, Yeah, I'm good. Um, It's a bit strange to be doing this, given the kind of timelines, because we're still, we've just done the, the, the live Sunday show. We're still waiting for the game with Dundee at Pataudry. But it's nice to be talking about some, uh, some memories that make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. Indeed, absolutely. Bloody hell, Gav, the way. Ten years since this one. That's terrifying stuff. It, it felt like um, this and, of course, going on and winning the cup uh, against Timberness Kai Thistle was going to be the launch point for more days like that. More success, more cup trophies coming to Aberdeen. And, of course, that's not been the case. But let's not dwell on the negatives too much. Let's try not to. So, of course, we'd navigated our way through to the semi-final stage of the competition. Uh, first of all, by scraping through in round two via a penalty shootout against Alo Athletic. What I can only describe as being a torrid nil-nil draw at home. Uh, Mark Reynolds, though, the hero in penalty kicks with the, with the winning goal. Um, and then we went on to demonstrate a real show, actually, against Falkirk in round three. A 5-0 win live on TV, as I recall it was. A really strong performance from us in that game that saw Scotty Vernon bagging a hat-trick after goals from Joe Shaughnessy and Cammy Smith. And I think, Gav, I don't know, just thinking back to this again, um, that Falkirk performance was probably the one or the first time where I really thought that McInnes was maybe onto something with our team at that point. What I liked about it, and I've gone back and looked at the team that uh, lined up against Falkirk that game, because by all means, it's not a bad Falkirk team at all. You can go through that team and, you know, you've got McGovern, who's went to play in the Premiership with Hamilton, has numerous caps for uh, Northern Ireland. Will Volks, um, Jay Fulton, you know, they've all gone down south. Blair Austin, Stephen Kingsley, um, Craig Sibold, they've all gone and become Scottish Premiership players. So it's not a bad team at all. And it's a fringe Aberdeen side in a lot of ways uh, a lot of young players coming through I mean I think I remember seeing Joe Shaughnessy uh, Robertson Clark Robertson sorry um, Ryan Jack was still relatively young Nicky Lowe Cammy Smith Peter Pollitt 
So it did seem like we were not just going to be focusing, concentrating, relying on the same 11 of, you know, Hayes, Reynolds, Flood, Robson, etc., etc. And it was probably, you know what? The weird thing about this game is that even though Calvin Zola only lasted half an hour and he got hooked because he was a walking red card, it's probably his best performance in an Aberdeen shirt because he just roughhoused the Falkirk defence to fuck and just set them up for Scott Vernon to come on and get a hat-trick. It did feel like we'd had a decent enough start in the league and, yeah, Aloha was difficult, undoubtedly. Um, your wife's one and only Pitaudry outing off the top Certainly of her last. Certainly anyway. her last anyway. Yeah. She's definitely not been back with any, any, uh, in any hurry. So, yeah. Uh, so it was a big test. Uh, definitely a banana skin. We came through and to win 5-0 against anyone is enormously pleasing. That then was followed up by what can only be described as a performance of real character in the quarterfinals. The night before Halloween, as despite being reduced to 10 men after just 13 minutes, thanks to the red card from the aforementioned Joe Shaughnessy, uh, the Dons eventually coming through 2-0 thanks to goals from Andy Collins and then from Johnny Hayes later on. And again, I think by this point, um, well, Rangers were already out of the competition or, or the new Rangers were already out. They were beaten by Forfer, I think, in round two or round three, possibly. Celtic were knocked out in round three by Greenick Morton. So there was already at the quarterfinal stage that feeling that it, this could be a real opportunity for somebody to go in and, and get their hands on the trophy. And when you go down to 10 men after 13 minutes, you just think to yourself, oh, it's just not going to be our night. But this, again, was a real performance of real kind of dig determination character um to see us through in this one absolutely um i think you go back and watch those highlights again and there's absolutely no arguing over joe shaughnessy's red card it's an absolute ludicrous uh, challenge from him that entirely you warranted didn't need it far to decide that one then no certainly not i think uh there's been no arguments from anyone in an aberdeen aberdeen colors uh since and you know fair park's been a notoriously difficult place for us to go for for many seasons no matter how well we're playing, if we've got a full complement of players. So uh, to have that back to the ball performance, and it was, you know, one of the the two goals, What it's a set piece and a counter-attack, isn't it? Uh, it's what Derek McInnes built us up to be. It was our strength for many, many years, and it carried us through to, uh, for the people that were there, I'm sure, uh, a very, a night that will hold a lot of fond memories. Indeed, well, Graham and I were definitely there for that one because we nearly, I think, did Mudwell score early on, I think? They had a goal ruled out within, within the first two or three minutes from recollection. Um, and we heard the roar for it outside. I think one of us said to go on and check the phone and see what happened. And you had that moment of like, oh, can I even be arsed going in to see what this is probably going to be? And I think by the time we got in, we realised that the game, that the goal had been disallowed. But um, yes, indeed, a, a very, very memorable evening, especially when Johnny Hayes just stuck in a pile driver in the last minute just to absolutely seal us our place in the semi-final. And it was just touching it, that that did set up a semi-final with St. Johnson. St. Johnson had come past Hamilton Ackies 3-0 in round three and come past Morton 1-0 in the quarterfinals to book their place in the semi-finals. Uh, they didn't play round two because they were in Europe that season. Before we come on to the game myself in a little bit more detail, for once, a really smart decision from those who run the game in Scotland. Um, actually saw the semi-final taking place at Tyne Castle, which um, I think just goes to show that there are times in Scotland where we get these things right because the atmosphere um, at this one, compare that to the atmosphere at Ibrox a few months later for the Scottish Cup semi-final, chalk and cheese. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously not a podcast for praising much in the way of hearts or anything hearts related, but I think anyone that's been there can have no arguments over the fact that Tyne Castle's a 
a good place to go and watch football uh, because of how steep the stands are and how close you are to the pitch. And you're always going to get a great atmosphere uh, when the stadium is full versus, you know, half empty. That's a very obvious thing to say. Um, not counting the sort of acoustics and structure in which Hamden uh, is where, you know, the atmosphere, I think no matter how good or how full the stadium can be, it can be feel a bit, uh, a bit quiet. St. Johnston, you know, you know, they're going to bring a mini bus worth of supporters and then we're going to bring however much we can. And, yeah, definitely, definitely the right call. Because um, that was that point, yeah, like you say, where Hamden was out of... Hamden's out of commission for out the... Out of commission, what was it, the Commonwealth Games? Games. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it makes perfect sense that you'd stick us um, in one of the kind of bigger Edinburgh stadiums and ignoring how the game panned out. I was definitely envious of those that were in attendance that day. Um, we'll come on to talk about that in a minute or two. Um, I think the thing as well, which is quite interesting about this, is we actually, we'd had that strong start to the campaign. You know, we were doing well domestically in the league um, obviously had progressed into the semi-finals of the League Cup um, McInnes was really starting to really put his um, make his mark with this team in particular um, you kind of had we've touched on it loads of times before you know you had Johnny, Johnny Hayes now again this is Peter Pollitt's you know one real season where we saw the kind of quality that Peter Pollitt kind of brought to the table um, but we actually came into the semi-final just a little bit out of sorts after that strong start to the season we'd had that defeat to Inverness in the league on the 18th of January, a 1-0 defeat. And then that was followed up by a 2-2 draw at Motherwell the week before the semi-final. That one, of course, did see the debut of Adam Rooney. Um, and of course, we came into the semi-final with a massive semi-final hoodoo hanging over us. We hadn't won a semi-final since the year 2000. Um, that was that famous 2-1 win over Hibs in the Scottish Cup. And there have been some humbling defeats in that timeline as well to boot, there was the 4-1 defeat at Tyne Castle to United in the, the 2008 League Cup semi-finals, a defeat by the same scoreline to Celtic at Hamden in 2011, a 2-1 defeat to Hibs in the Scottish Cup semi in 2012, a 4-0 defeat to Celtic in the Scottish Cup in 2011, and then of course, what we all thought at the time was the, the worst result in our history in the Scottish Cup, a 4-3 defeat to Queen of the South in 2008, <laughs> but what did we know there, the naive little youngsters that we were? Um, I mean, with the bat, with that background, you know, our recent history in cup semi-finals, was it any wonder that, despite the fact, and I just touched on it earlier on, that both Glasgow sides were already at the tournament early? The final four, of course, was ourselves, Hearts, St Johnson, and Inverness, Cali Thistle. That I certainly felt apprehensive coming into this game. I don't know about you, Gav. Up until that point, I felt like our history, certainly with myself as a active supporter, was that in instances like this where you know it's not that you should go and win the game because of course you have to go and do the work on the pitch but the opportunity is there um we'd seen it in the past in the league or in european fixtures or in cup games and there's no greater illustration of that than queen of the south um in in sorry in 2008 where we had that great opportunity to get in the cup final go and play a rangers team that was out on its feet and potentially bring the Scottish Cup home and we missed that opportunity for me um that game with United the the 4-1 defeat at Tyne Castle was the the real sort of bugbearer for me going into the game because just I remember being in that st in that stadium when we ran from our bus because it was late getting to, into Edinburgh and getting there and just seeing was it Andrew Considine scored I think to make it 1-0 at Aberdeen and then we just collapsed uh, Lee Miller God bless him lost the head decided that this was a day just to 
seek vengeance on Darren Dawes for whatever he'd done to him in a past life. Um, and it's, you know, you look at the St. John's team that day and it's not a team made up of superstars by any means, but, you know, collectively they were a solid, solid outfit with, you know, players who've sustained Scottish Premiership careers. Um, it's the time in history when Stevie May looks most like a footballer, which is hard to believe. So it's a banana skin for sure. And you knew that we were going to have to put in a performance to get through it. Um, now, Graham can join us tonight to record this, but I mean, I remember Graham was already in Edinburgh already on the Saturday. I'm sure that Graham and one of our other pals, uh, Alan, were away to head out on a snowboarding holiday, I think, on the Sunday. So they'd already like travelled down to Edinburgh ahead of time. I took the earliest train from Aberdeen down to Edinburgh. I met Graham at Graham's brother's flat, which at the time was basically just around the corner from Tyne Castle. And Gav, you weren't yes. there, though, were you, at the game? You... Did you have a gig or something that night? Is that myself and our recent um, honorary co-host Mark Simpson? We <laughs> were in a band together at the time, and yeah, we were playing. We were headlining the Lemon Tree that night uh, in a gig that was obviously booked months ahead of time, and there was no way of getting back from Edinburgh in time to make the show. So we had to make the sacrifice of staying in Aberdeen. And well, I'll tell you how we went about trying to watch it later yeah. on. Let's let's get into that minute or two. And I guess just coming back to it, you just kind of touched a little bit about the general nervousness, the general apprehension about it after what you'd seen before. But were you also in the same mood coming into the game about if there's a chance to win a cup, this is right up there now, given just who the semi-final four were? Oh, certainly. I mean, so what? It was Inverness, Cali Thistle and... Hearts. Hearts. Um, and this is Hearts at that time when they are... They had had the points deduction. They're playing a team of basically youngsters um, and kind of you know, experienced heads who'd been there, but by no means the best Hearts team that we can imagine in that recent time. So, of course, it's what you're an saying, Gavs, that Hearts were in the middle of one of their yo-yo loops, is what you're saying. Uh, if I remember, this is the season that Hearts go down, is it not? And they take Hibs with them. I think it is, isn't it? Is this, this it is, is that indeed, that yeah. yeah. It is, yeah. Um, it's hard to tell. I, All the Hearts relegation seasons just blend into one. I, I can remember it because this was a very good game of football manager to be Aberdeen, but it was also a good, good game to be Hearts because you could take on the challenge of trying to get them over the points deduction and keep them up, and very rarely did it ever work. Um, and, of course, this is the season when, um, like I say, they had youngsters, fringe players, uh, guys who were probably not up to the standard of being Heart or Midlothian players, if you're being quite, quite honest, and yet they still beat us twice. They did, yes, yes, indeed. Uh, Nicky Weaver to blame for one of them, as I recall. Um, Nicky Weaver and Jordan McGee, yes. Yes. Um, Shea Logan had just signed from Brentford on loan a couple of days prior to this one. He was straight into the starting lineup in front of what can only be described as an absolutely humongous Aberdeen support, taking up three of the stands at Tynecastle. Uh, Logan lining up alongside Anderson Reynolds and Considine at the back. Jamie Langfield in goal was a holding midfield of uh, Willow Flood and Barry Robson. I wonder whatever happened to him. Peter Pollock, Niall McGinn and Johnny Hayes tucked in behind Adam Rooney, who was, of course, making only his second appearance in red as well. Um, and it's fair to say Graham and I left it just a touch late to finish off the last of the boos um, that we had in the flat. So we were running down at the ground um, maybe about 5-3, to 10-3, completely forgetting though that we weren't in the Roseburn stand because that's just automatically <laughs> where you go. So we kind of got to there, realised then suddenly actually, no, fuck, we're not in there. Um, and then had to completely 
uh, make our way around the entirety of the stadium at that point into the wheat field stand right around the other side, which was great fun uh, when you were absolutely smashed. And the queue, as I remember, on kickoff trying to get into the wheat field was absolutely enormous. Sure enough, we just get into the through the turnstiles. We try to go up the steps there when there's a huge cheer goes up and it's clear that we've taken the lead. I think we just managed to get into the stand itself in time to kind of see the final parts of the celebration. Uh, thankfully for us, though, it's clear that it's the men in red who've got the goal. Hayes turning in the cross after a poor kick out from... Uh, who was in goals against? Stevie Banks for Stevie St. Johnston. Banks, yeah. um, a poor kick out. It's Adam Rooney who fires the ball in cross. I mean, talk about, Gav, a dream start in a cup semi-final. I mean, there's no better way to alleviate that those nerves, that stress, that anxiety of the occasion than getting yourself in front, uh, getting that enormous Aberdeen support on side and putting them putting St. Johnston on the back foot. Um, like I said earlier, the strength of Dan McInnes' Aberdeen team for me was always with Hayes, with McGinn and Peter Paul especially, was winning possession of the ball, uh, sometimes in our own half, sometimes further up the pitch and breaking on teams at pace. When you get that goal advantage and you make St. Johnston come out and attack us even more so, you know, that's where a couple of the goals come from is that kind of counter-attacking football. Um, a fantastic start and the antithesis of how way that we <laughs> seemed to approach occasions like this uh, up until Derek McInnes came to the club. Kick out Adam, Adam Rooney could be in here. He's got plenty of support in the middle. Steve Anderson leaves it and Aberdeen are in front. And it's Johnny Hayes. And Tight Castle is rocking to the sound of Aberdeen cheers. So just touching it, Graham and I actually missed the goal itself. Did you manage to see it? Now I can't remember the story about how much of this game you actually managed to see. So uh for anyone that's ever been in a band, they will know what this is like. So we were, like I say, doing a headline show at the Lemon Tree. We were asked to be there for sound check for something stupid like two o'clock. You get to the venue. There's no sound guy there. There's no no one there. So you just end up standing around for a while. Uh, Mark and I decided, fuck this. And we went back to his flat. I can't remember where Mark lived at the time, but we went back to his flat and what, before I continue, what's the statute of limitations on watching illegal streams? I think you're all right. You're good. Don't worry about it. We tried finding a stream of the game. I mean, our chairman outed a former goalkeeper not long ago about this, I think. so. We tried <laughs> finding a stream. Nay joy anywhere. We ended up, you know how on online bookie sites, they'll <laughs> sometimes say to you, there's a stream available if you make an account and deposit this much cash. I think we deposited about 30 quid over like three or four different websites and no matter what we did we couldn't find a stream of it at all so we ended up listening to it on the wireless there we go then lovely stuff um it's true though anyone that has been in a band that's um listening or who hasn't been in one um being in a band is not anywhere close to being as glamorous as people try to make out it generally involves a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of standing about generally speaking and then being told that you're going to get paid in exposure and <laughs> a couple of beers yeah absolutely um in fairness and it's often forgotten you know saints had probably the better of the game for the next 30 minutes or so jamie langfield has to produce a number of decent saves the best one the one from lee croft that he just manages to kind of touch does it onto the post or just past the post i can't i, I think he touches it just wide of the post yeah yeah an unbelievable save 
It's, it's a great save. Um, I mean, this League Cup run is probably Jamie Langfield's finest set of games in his Aberdeen career as well, actually, because he, he pulls out saves in the penalty shootout against Aloha. He has a really, really good game. Um, at Motherwell, as I recall, he plays really well as well against St. Johnston, and of course he goes on to be one of the heroes in the final in the penalty shootout as well. Um, but despite the fact, and again, very, uh, you, touched, you used the word antithesis earlier on, Gavin, it's exactly the same here. Again, usually in these situations for Aberdeen where you're under the cosh, it's just the inevitable is about to happen. But for once, we don't do that. Um, we we turn the tables onto St. Johnson because Peter Pollock, we touched on Peter Pollock earlier on, who you know was undergoing a real resurgence at this point under Dennett McInnes, picks the ball up 30 yards from goal, powers past right before finishing beautifully past Stevie Banks, bedlam ensuing in the in the Tyne Castle stands. Croft once more. Good challenge there. By Johnny Hayes and Aberdeen away on the counter-attack. Chris Miller trying to stay with Hayes. Hacked away. This is Pollock. Pollock's gone past. The defender and he's got another one. And Aberdeen double the lead. Against the runner play. Well, it's a brilliantly taken goal by Peter Pollitt. Was this a case where you mark embracing wildly over this one? This is what I'm talking about. That's an instance of Johnny Hayes wins the ball deep in our own half, drives forward, plays a you know speculative cross, but you know this comes to nothing. But Peter Pollitt's got the awareness and the speed and the in-game intelligence to be in the right place, take the ball, and like you say, at that point, Peter Pollitt had this amazing ability to almost run faster with the ball and no one would dare touch him. Steve Banks, I think, would have been touching 40 at this point. So I think we benefited perhaps from his um, lack of speed coming off his line. But it's a fantastic you know, piece of play from Peter Paul to get the ball past the defender and then get the ball uh, under Steve Banks and make it 2-0. And, you know, you watch highlights, the St. Johnston players, they're starting to argue with one another. Their heads are going. Uh, they're losing belief. And at that point, yeah, that felt to me like getting the second goal before halftime was a big thing. It really was. It, it really, really was. And then in the stadium as well, you could just feel that sense of, af- after the bedlam of the goal, because it's such a good goal, the sense of kind of relief, you could just feel kind of the, the weight being lifted off a lot of Aberdeen supporters' shoulders at that point because we had been under the cosh a little bit and this just felt like just a real dagger into the hearts of the St. Johnston players as well, it felt like at that moment in time. Goals, and we say all the time, goals change games and they change the way that momentum, you know, swings in games. And this was a real momentum shift that I think in, in our side. And then after the after the break, again, Saints with a, a, a decent amount of play. They had some a couple of corners, as I recall, as well, early in the second half. But then this third goal, I mean, this was probably the moment that I think had every Aberdeen fan... Um, or it's the moment that every Aberdeen fan had been hoping for, I think, in terms of seeing and recognising that our new number nine was a guy who absolutely meant business. Rooney had scored, of course, in his debut at Motherwell the week before, but the third goal, Pollock dispossesses Dennett Mackay uh, in our own half. Lovely way to through ball for Rooney. And despite the fact that he has basically the entire Saints half to run into, I remember just thinking at the time, he's never going to miss this. This is undoubtedly a goal, but... What a finish as well from a guy. What a way to announce yourself to your new support. I think with the exception of the ball clipping the post when James Madison scores that free kick against Rangers, the slap of the ball on the net yeah. 
when Adam Rooney tucks this ball past Steve Banks is probably the most satisfying sound I can think of as an Aberdeen supporter. But this is, again, the importance of getting those two goals because it makes St. Johnston come out. They've got numbers forward. And the benefit of us having players like Pollitt, uh, Hayes and McGinn in those attacking roles so that when they're defending, they can press with intensity. And, you know, it's a case of winning the ball and a simple ball forward for Rooney to run onto. Uh, Adam, bless him, uh, thankfully he was a bit younger. <laughs> so he had the pace to take away from uh, the you know, centre-backs. I think and, it's Steven yeah. Anderson, though, so he's probably all right. Steven Anderson and Fraser Wright, who I think were never blessed with uh, speed to begin with. But, um, yeah, I mean, comprehensive. Uh, a striker that just knew where, knew where the goal was and there's nothing stopping him. Mackay in space. He's closed down quickly by Paul. This could be a counter-attacking opportunity for Aberdeen. It's Adam Rooney. Is it three for Aberdeen? It is! And surely now Aberdeen are into the final of the League Cup. Devastating counter-attacking football by Aberdeen. St Johnston caught on the back foot. Still time, though, um, for a fourth. We'll come on to that in a minute or two. Because, I mean, with, with 30 minutes still to go, we were we were there, you know. And, and what a final half hour it was to be in the stadium. I mean, certainly it felt like a... I think I don't think you can really explain this unless you were there at the time. I mean, maybe Gav, you and Mark have uh, a view on this as well. But <laughs> it felt like a proper period of actual catharsis. Um, 14 years of failing to make it to a cup final were about to be over. And it was party time in the stands at this point. Um, yeah, I remember we're, I think at this point, 30 quid down. <laughs> uh, we've tried the final uh, of the bookies who, contrary to their claims, did not have a, a live stream of the game. Um, the sound check, our sound check, um, the engineer is now at the venue. So we have to actually get back there and do our thing. So we're just a way to leave. And I remember, like I say, Rooney's through on goal. You hear uh, the ball hit the net, and I think we just had a little, a little embrace because two 0 is always a dangerous scoreline, and there's enough time left in the game that if St. Johnston get one goal back, you never know what could happen. When it goes three 0 it's game over. And for the first time in far too long in our lifetimes, we're in a cup final. Indeed, still time for a fourth though. Still time for a fourth. Uh, Johnny Hayes getting on the app with seventy eight minutes. On the clock, a low finish past Banks from distance. It does allow us as well to take uh, Russell Anderson off. Russell was on a booking, as I remember, so he came off for the last 10 minutes. Uh, I think, uh, did Alan Tate waddle onto the park for the final 10 minutes? Alan Tate did indeed. I feel like he did, yeah, indeed. Um, his finest 10 minutes in a red strip. Um, and that was that, though. I mean, like a truly, truly wonderful afternoon. We were on our way to Parkhead, or Park Red, as it would become later, um, I would just like to say for anyone that's listening to this show who may be slightly younger than ourselves and maybe doesn't quite remember Johnny Hayes as the player that he was, <laughs> there was a time when Johnny Hayes would run at defenders with pace, absolutely bamboozle them, and then Take deliver a great cross or, you know, smash one past the goalkeeper. And this is, yeah, for me, kind of just the beginning of peak Johnny Hayes right here. Yeah, it's funny because I went back to watch the highlights of this game as well in preparation for doing this tonight and it's it just made me really sad <laughs> just watching Johnny and then thinking, 
Oh, like I just—I think we've sort of so many times in the show. I, I just don't want his reputation, his legacy, to be kind of tarnished by what we've been seeing a lot of recently. And this was just such a heartbreaking thing to look back on. It's definitely one of those games where you know you just wish that maybe they just left the memories alone. Yeah, pretty much. Against Johnny Hayes, trying to run at Stephen Anderson onto the left. Oh, it's wonderful from Johnny Hayes, and it's turning into a rout for Aberdeen. Their fans are utterly jubilant. Their players know they picked a place in the League Cup final a long time ago. But that was it. An afternoon not to be forgotten at all. Uh, for me, definitely in the in in my modern um, Aberdeen supporting life, because I feel that my Aberdeen supporting life is split very much into three distinct parts. Um, this was a proper resurgence moment. It had been a moment we've been all waiting for for a long, long time. Um, and I felt that this semi final, just the way that we we performed and the way that we went about our business that afternoon, it just really, I don't know, it felt like a real statement of intent that we were kind of back at the top end of the Scottish game again. I think so. Um, I think that you know it felt we'd had enough of a sample size by that point to know that we had a manager that seemed to understand what it was going to take to be successful at Aberdeen and it felt like he was going to build something. Obviously, Rangers being in the predicament they were in meant that we had that, what, three, four year timeline where they're not going to be a factor. Um, and if we can continue to improve and you see little building blocks in the way of you know adam rooney's come in we've got a number nine now uh shea logan first game debut but looked really good instantly um you've got a lot of things that are going right for you and like i say it's the first time what in 14 years that aberdeen are in a cup final which is crazy to think about and yeah it felt like the beginning of something it really did, and it's it's remarkable. Whenever we've gone back to talk to a lot of um, the team who played in this game and who also played, obviously, in the final, um, it's this one that sticks out, I think, a lot more. I think we all know what the cup final was like. Um, uh, whilst the the spectacle that was Park Red was special, um, I think the atmosphere at Tynecastle was just off the charts. It was unbelievable. Um, fantastic stuff um, all around. But, I mean... That's just our kind of um, view on these things. So we did throw open the the voice notes um, over the course of the last few days just to gather up a few different people's memories and recollections of their um, trip to Tynecastle uh, for this one. So we're going to just play out a few of those just now. Um, and like I say, this is going to make everybody feel really old because, like I say, it's 10 years ago now. My memories of the semi-final in uh, 2014. It was the last time... <laughs> Probably the last time uh, in a in a semi final, anyway, where there was any amount of time where it felt like we couldn't and wouldn't lose. That there was such an enormous gulf in class, especially particularly in the second half um, between ourselves and, and any other team that we were playing. And you know, we've we've played side. I mean, probably at any point in the last twenty years, and we played teams from a division or less uh, or more, lower lower than us. The football was exhilarating. The, I mean, the, the, the first half, a little little touchy, but there was the, just that second half that every time 
we broke forward, we looked like we were going to score every time, not, not even every time we broke forward, every single time St. Johnston gave away the ball, even 20, 30 yards, and not to sit on it and, you know, see the game out, to know that we had the the weapons in our arsenal to keep hitting them, keep clobbering um, St. Johnston over the head with it. Just amazing, explosive football. All right, troops, Beth Wallace here. And my memories of the semi-final of when we beat St. Johnston. So I would have been, if it was 2014, just before I went to uni. Uh, so 17 years old, never seen... Aberdeen make it to a final, well, I've seen them in 2000, but I don't remember it. Um, And I remember just going into the game expecting not to have any success because that's all I knew up until that point in my life as a Dons fan. And to then go and win the game 4-0 was a huge surprise because when we think of big occasions, finals, semi-finals, you think of tightly fought games and sitting there anxious the whole time and uh, I remember the first goal going in and uh, burst into tears <laughs> uh, what a loose but yeah one of the most memorable games and obviously to go on to the final afterwards definitely the highlight or one of the highlights of my Don's supporting career so far life-changing stuff yeah so I remember the League Cup semi-final quite well because I went down with my brother and we were actually going down to London the next day to watch Arsenal play. I think it was Crystal Palace. Um, So we were flying down after the game. So we left like, we thought we left in loads of time and then we didn't. (laughs) Literally we got there like two minutes before kickoff. I was driving a wee fiesta at the time and I literally remember getting like the smallest space right outside Tyne Castle and I don't think that will ever be repeated ever again. Um, but yeah, I just remember the atmosphere being amazing. Obviously, Johnny Hayes scoring after three minutes. And then I remember when Peter Pollitt um, scored his second. And I remember the ball still being in down the line. And I remember being like, it's still in. Go, go, go. And then next thing I knew, I was literally face planted, like four rows in front when my brother tried to hold up this guy and hold me with one hand. <laughs> so I ended up having... A very joyous day. Obviously, we won 4 0. And I was walking around London with this scar on my chin, thanks to being absolutely face planted right down Tyne Castle's uh, stand. So that was really fun. But it was a great game. Hi, guys. So, League Cup semi final. Um, the best memory for me, I think, of the whole day was just the atmosphere. Um, we took an unbelievable amount of fans down. Um, Tyne Castle's always been a favourite ground of mine because it's so tight and the stands are quite steep and, and the crowd feels like it's on top of you so for us to have a crowd that was that was backing us rather than getting on top of us was great um, obviously we went 2-0 up I think within about 30 minutes and the uh, place was going crazy and I think that the funniest thing about that was we weren't actually playing particularly well um, we came in at half time and I remember Willow well, Flood going nuts talking about how poor we played and we're all sitting thinking 2-0 up we're, we're kind of cruising it but he'd obviously been there before as a couple of us and not to get complacent and then I think to go out and and uh, put the ice in the cake with another couple of goals um, was not a great way to kind of get yourself into a final and uh, probably one of our most dominant performances in, in the, the, the League Cup run that year I think we were I think we were confident we knew that St Johnson would give us a game because the way they played it was 
they were always tough to play against in Johnson, you know. You never really enjoyed a game against them. It was just one of them where you kind of grinded it out. And to be fair, the first half of that game, we were shit. Uh, I remember coming in at half-time and that I think we were we were winning at half-time and I walked in and I had a pop at the lads at half-time. I said, fucking hell, lads, this has been fucking shit. I said, don't start thinking that we've fucking done well. I said, we're winning the game, but we've been absolutely shit. And the usual moan from me and that I had a pop. Um, and to be fair, second half, we, we played well. Um, Langers makes a great save in the first half. Um, I just remember that game, like, in front three and Johnny and Niall and Pete being a right handful. Like, you know, when you had them three on that on the day and they were quick and to be fair, they were, they were unstoppable when they got going, the three lads. So glad you asked me. We treated this one specially. Big night on the tiles on the Friday with my best mate, the Dandy Dange in Edinburgh. Stayed at his gaff up in the morning, fried breakfast. We're in the pub for 10. I'm told at least Eric is has died and I have to write an obituary which I do I get my get my computer back into the pub write a good obituary for a man I liked um, the pub's just up the road from Gorgie and um, yeah, there's a malt of the month so we're mixing hefty amounts of Guinness with several malts um, the atmosphere is brilliant the singing starts in the pub there's a supermarket across the road a nick in there half bottle of whiskey down the back of the jeans the cops at Tiny um, try to sort of frisk everybody. I do a little hip shake shuffle, get in, and as we destroy St. Johnson, the three of us are consuming the remnants of this half bottle of whiskey on top of everything else we've had. The surge from the top of behind the goal when Johnny scores the first is magnificent. You just get a feeling right there and then, no danger of losing after the 4-0, meet Simi in the concourse, leap all over him, squeeze just about the living daylights out of him, off to a seafood restaurant after the game, bottles of champagne, fucking brilliant day, Peter, Paulette, baby. There we go, Gav, um, top stuff, great memories all round for everybody, um, even Shona with her grazed chin. Uh, I, I just remembered as well, I'd, I'd made the slightly ballsy prediction, I think, heading into the semi-final that... Um, the final would be my stag do, as I recall, um, yes. which was a little bit preemptive on my part, but as it turned out, completely the right thing to do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We brought many, many a Celtic fan along to, uh, <laughs> to Celtic Park to watch Aberdeen <laughs> triumph after 19 years, 120 minutes and fucking penalties. Yeah, three of them were there in the, the entourage, uh, I think. Three Celtic and one ambivalent Middlesbrough fan. Indeed, yes, yes. Uh, to be fair, one of them was indeed my father-in-law, so um, I'm probably allowed with that one, to be fair. But never mind. Uh, yeah, I mean, just any final reflections, Gavi, just what I threw out there about Aberdeen Force and Johnston Nell from the 1st of February 2014. Um, I think just to end it on that slightly sour note, um, I remember <laughs> thinking, if we've done this job on them in... Uh, Early in season at Tyne Castle, then playing them later on this season a semi-final in the Scottish Cup will be an absolute piece of piss. And as we know, that didn't quite play out that way. Um, yeah, just a fantastic day for Aberdeen in our in our recent history. And like I say, it felt like it was going to be the beginning of something special, uh, which unfortunately didn't come to be uh, in reality. But... One of those days where it makes it all worth it, makes all the, the journeys, the the games where 
you don't perform, when you don't get the result, when you leave pissed off, frustrated. I wouldn't say it makes up for what we're going through right now, but, <laughs> uh, but uh, um, again, nevertheless, yeah, um, fantastic day out, great performance from the players. You talk to the guys, you hear what they say. It's um, a highlight for many of our guys who have, and you were talking about guys like, you know, Willow Flood and Adam Rooney and so on and so forth, guys who've had a lot of highlights in their careers and this obviously stands out. So it's obviously means a lot to them. And yeah, I'm jealous of everyone that was there in a red shirt in Tyne Castle that day. Just remind me, Gav, before we sign off, what actually is your semi-final record again when you've actually been in person? Uh, once again, I do not have the numbers, but I've watched us beat Morton and I've watched us beat Rangers. That's it. That's and I have too. been to a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah, your semi-final run is not impressive at all, it's fair to say. Um, yeah, my cup final record's just about as bad. This is also true. Yeah. You're not alone in that, though, to be fair. You're absolutely yeah. not alone in that, to be fair. Right. There we go. That'll do um, for this little special mini episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you've enjoyed getting an opportunity to reminisce about some good times because it feels right now that we could all do with trying to remember some of those and what brought our football club back to the fore again 10 years ago. Thanks for listening. Um, please remember to like, subscribe, follow whatever you do in your podcast player of choice. Uh, we'll be back for episode 153 at some point this week where we'll talk about whatever it is that happened against Dundee on Tuesday night and we'll preview our fixture with Celtic on Saturday. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!